with the next session. I prayed with a number of people up here today. We saw some people healed, but you know, I've had a lot of people say, are you going to pray for people? Yes, we'll be ministering to people tonight. We'll have a service. And, but you know, we've just got so many ministers that we want you to hear. We want you to get exposed to all of the good things that God's doing here. So uh, in the morning sessions, it's basically just our normal schedule. We'll have 50 minutes worth of ministry and then a 10, 15, 20-minute break and things like that. But at night, we're going to be praying with people. If you came here and aren't born again, if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you're going to have to struggle to get out of here without receiving because we're going to lay hands on you until we rub all the hair off the top of your head to help you to receive, praise God. And if you have a sickness in your body, we will be glad to pray with you. But again, we will have more time this evening and uh, then also tomorrow evening. But we want to give you an opportunity to hear our, um, our ministers that we have here. They're just powerful. Like I was sharing, Lawson Purdue is a guy that I've known since he was a, a teenager I knew his dad and mom, his whole family, ministered to them. I uh, was, was a part of his Man. life when his dad died and, and ministered to the family. And I tell you, it is such a privilege to see what God has done with Barbara and Lawson. I meant Barbara through Lawson. He, he meant her after I knew uh, Lawson. He went to Lassie Bible School and worked up there. But anyway, they now have started uh, Karis Christian Center. And has it been, what, 12 years? 11. 11 years, and uh, they started in our school. They used our school. It, we aren't connected other than just we love each other in the Lord, but he's the one that named his church Karis Christian Center, and we swiped his name. This used to be Colorado Bible College, and then we started Bible colleges all over the world and thought we're going to have to change this, so we borrowed his name. He didn't borrow our name, and uh, Lawson and Barbara have an awesome church. A lot of our students go there. And they just built, uh, took over this building next door, remodeled it, and they've already maxed it out. He started a national uh, television ministry and beginning to branch out, and he's just a real blessing. So this is Lawson Purdue, pastor of Caris Christian Center. Thank you. I'll take that. She will. I'm really blessed to be here, super excited. God's been super good to us. We started the church, like Andrew said, 11 years ago, and we started with two families, and in the last month, we've had over 700 on a given Sunday, so I'm believing we'll have over 1,000 by the end of this year, and we're on live streaming now, and that's growing at an unparalleled rate, and so we just started live streaming. I had a really good feeling about this before we started it, but it's grown in five weeks to, we had over 263 families, I think, that were connected with us last Sunday. So it's super exciting what God's doing, and we're excited about sharing the word around the world. And uh, God, you know, uh, ministered to us, told us to come to Colorado Springs, start this church 11 years ago. It was very challenging in the natural, uh, but it's been uh, probably outside of receiving Jesus Christ, being born again and marrying my wife, or being baptized in the Holy Spirit and marrying my wife. It's been the best decision I've ever made. And I'm super excited about being part of the Bible school. They started it in 1994. I was excited about it the day they started it. And I'm still excited about it. I personally teach five first-year classes here. And uh, then I teach uh, one second-year elective three times in the day school and one time in the night school. And then I teach a second-year class on leadership 
And then I teach a third-year class on uh, raising leaders and a third-year class on practical pastoring. So I love the school, and I'm very involved with it. It keeps me really, really busy with everything else that I do. Barbara also teaches a practical class on um, priorities in life, faith, family, and ministry. And so she wants to come up here and share a real quick testimony. Well, welcome to Campus Days. It's great to see everyone. You know, the Bible tells us that we're made in whose image? We're made in God's image. You think God thinks big? Amen. So I think it's okay if we think big, right? (laughs) So repeat after me. I have big dreams. And God has provision for them. So say it again. I have big dreams. And God has provision for them. Amen. Amen. You know, Philippians 4.19 says what? God might supply. Might. It says, no, he's going to supply all our need according to his riches and glory. Wow. His riches and glory? You know it's going to be good. You know, I believe that God has put in all of us a dream. It might be different than the person next to you. Um, Some of you have a dream to come to Bible school. Some of you are students getting ready to graduate, and God's maybe put a dream for you to start a ministry in another city, another state, or even another country. And we've learned a lot, even just from watching um, things happening in our own family. And some of, um, some of you have already heard this testimony, but for those who haven't, I think it's really going to encourage you. Our youngest son... Peter, when he was in junior high, he began to declare and speak. He was so bold about it. He's like, I'm going to go to college, and mom and dad, you're not going to have to worry about it. It's going to be paid for. So when he was in junior high, he would say, I'm going to college. It's going to be paid for. You're not going to have to worry about it. And, of course, we were like, hallelujah. (laughs) We'll agree with you. Well, then when he was in high school, he started speaking by faith and declaring the university he was going to go to. You know, when you dream big, it gets people's attention, and it can even get some critics going. Because even I was like, there's a part of me, the mother in me, that want to take him aside and say, maybe you should have like three other options, you know, like just in case. But the Holy Ghost said, just zip it. So we didn't say anything. And as he was in high school, he was saying, I'm going to Princeton. And we're like. (laughs) Anyway, to make a long story short, he is now a junior at Princeton. Hallelujah. But that's, that's not where the story even ends or begins. I don't know how to put it. This is so amazing. When he was a sophomore last year, he was invited with some other students to a dinner to meet um, the family that was responsible for the, the scholarship. So as they were here at the, the dinner, they, they had this question. They're like, is anyone here um, have parents who are full-time missionaries? And our son raised his hand, and he's like, my parents are full-time pastors who do a lot of mission work. Anyway, in the 1800s, a family had left money and the scholarship, and it was their request that they wanted to scholarship um, a student whose parents were full-time missionaries or full-time in the ministry. So our son had a dream. By faith, he spoke it, and the provision had been there over 100 years just waiting for him. Amen. 
just waiting for him to come there. And so I just want to encourage you, if God can do that for our son, a pastor's kid, Amen. just think what he can do for you, how the provision, you're going to just be amazed when you do step out in faith. Praise you're God. going to be amazed how God already set you up. Amen. Not only is he at Princeton, it's paid for. He has a single room and probably one of the only dorms that has air conditioning. <laughs> God thinks of everything. So the only people that limit what happens in our life is ourselves. Praise Amen. God. So dream big. Amen. My son called the second year when he got in this dorm. He said, Dad, you know it's true. We do have favor. He said, there's all these other kids that applied to get in this dorm, and they didn't get it. I got it. And then last year, he got a private room in there. He said, we have favor. And he's been in, that, he's been in the best dorm there the whole time. Praise God. And he's super blessed. We're blessed. Life isn't fair. We have favor. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. We're the head and not the tail. We're above and not beneath. We're blessed and we are not cursed. Praise the Lord. Well, I'm going to be sharing today from the book of Romans, and I'm going to be teaching from chapter 5. Uh, before that, I do that, I'm going to lay a little bit of foundation, but I'm going to be talking about living in light of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ or living in light of grace. Praise God of what God's done for us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we'll begin... Uh, in Romans chapter 5, I want to read this scripture and then I want to go back. But in Romans chapter 5, verse 17, Paul says, If by one man's death, offense, death reigned by the one, much more they who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. And so that's talking about by Adam's transgression, uh, the, the human generation... All of humanity was brought into sin and death. Death reigned by Adam's transgression over all men. But it goes on to say at the end of that, he says, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. One translation says that we will reign in life as kings. So we could look at it this way, that we have went from the reign of sin and death to the reign of grace and righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, as we look at uh, Romans, I teach a, a course here on the book of Romans entitled uh, The Righteousness of God or The Revelation of Righteousness. And we begin in Romans chapter 1, and we talk about, in Romans chapter 1, Paul says this in verse 16 and verse 17, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for he says therein, he says... The righteousness of God has been revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so we uh, draw a number of things from that and we say this. Number one, the gospel is the power of God to salvation. Or we could say it this way, the gospel empowers God to work salvation, which is forgiveness, healing, deliverance, protection, and provision in the lives of those who believe it. The gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes it, to the Jew first, uh, Peter was preaching in Acts chapter 3, verse 21, and he said, Unto you first was Jesus Christ sent, that he might bless you and turn you from your sin. And then he says, Also to the Gentile. And then he makes this statement, he says in verse 17, For therein, in the gospel, the righteousness of God has been revealed from faith, the faith of the Jew, to faith, the faith of the Gentile, as it is written, The just shall live by faith. So the gospel is the revelation of righteousness. And if you have no understanding, if you have no revelation of righteousness, you have no understanding of the gospel. 
And so we need to come to an understanding of righteousness or an understanding of who we are in Christ. Andrew was talking about that we have the very same spirit of Jesus on the inside of us. We have been made the righteousness of God in Christ. And when you understand the righteousness of God, uh, one person said this years ago, there's only really two things that our faith needs to be used for. One is righteousness and the other is redemption. And if you'll understand the righteousness of God, it gives you grounds before God to receive from God what he has for you. Praise God. And so Romans chapter 1, Paul begins talking about the gospel as the revelation of righteousness, and then he talks about the Gentile need for righteousness, and he talks about how the Gentiles are caught up in philosophy, idolatry, and lust, and all kinds of ungodliness. They need righteousness. That's evident. That's the world that we live in. It's evident. We live in a world that needs Jesus. He talks in chapter 2, and he talks about how the Jews or religious people need righteousness. And he makes this statement in verse 23 of chapter 2, and he said they make their boast in the law, but through breaking the law, they dishonor God. That's really the heart of Romans chapter 2. And so he says not only does the Gentile world uh, or the heathen world need righteousness, the non-religious world, but he says the church world or the religious world or the Jews need righteousness. Everybody needs righteousness. And then he says, uh, he says that in Romans chapter 3, verse 10. There's no, none righteous, no, not one. And he goes on and tells us in the end of Romans chapter 3 that God sent Jesus and made righteousness available to every man and that we receive that righteousness by faith. And he talks about in Romans chapter 4 uh, more about how we receive it. And he talks about that we receive the righteousness of God by grace through faith. And he uses David as an example of grace. And if we look at Romans chapter 4, uh, for instance, here in verse um, uh, 6, he says this, Even as David also described the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness without works, saying in verse 7 and in verse 8, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. He uses David as an example of grace. Why do you suppose that God uses David as an example of grace? I believe that God uses David as an example of grace because David needed grace. I was reading in Hebrews chapter 11, that's the Faith Hall of Fame, and God's talking about David. I'm thinking, how, why, how in the world can David be over here in Hebrews chapter 11 in the Faith Hall of Fame after what he did? And God uses him. And you know what? I had to think about it a couple of days. And I was out running and I was meditating, thinking about this. And I was thinking about this and the Lord spoke to me. He said, do you know what David's greatest act of faith was? And I said, no. And he said, David's greatest act of faith was overcoming his own personal failure and coming back into a personal relationship with God. Amen. Praise God. And so it talks here about David. He actually, this is uh, taken from Psalm 32, I believe it is. And he actually adds some things to Psalm 32. And he says, uh, David describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness. God has placed righteousness on our account. He has imputed righteousness to us. Not only has he placed righteousness on our account, God has placed us in the account of the righteous. And we've been given so much righteousness, we absolutely can never send it away. He said, saying, blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven. Thank God our rebellion has been forgiven. Our sins have been forgiven. Whose sins are covered. 
when we look at that word covered, it's just like he covered it. It's like if you had a debt and somebody came and covered it, paid the bill. Praise God. He says, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. God is not keeping a record of our faults, our wrongdoings. You know, when I went to Sunday school, I got born again over here in Penrose, Colorado in the Friends Church. I went to Sunday school, and our Sunday school teachers taught us about Jesus, but they also told us this. God is in heaven with his big video camera, and he's keeping track of your life. And when you get to heaven, he's going to play it back to you in slow motion. And you know what they were trying to do? They were trying to scare the hell out of us. (laughs) Praise God. But my Sunday school teacher lied. That is not the truth. The truth is God is not keeping a record. God is not keeping track of our sins, our faults, and our failures. God has counted us righteous. He has imputed righteousness to us. He has placed us in the account of righteousness. And that is the way that God sees us. God sees us as righteous. And he uses David as this example of grace. Why? Because David needed grace. David was called and anointed to be the king of Israel. He was doing what God called him to do, and he got sidetracked and went and committed adultery, had a a child out of wedlock, and then had the woman's husband murdered to cover it up. And God uses David in his faith hall of fame. I'm thinking, wow, that's a God of grace. But not only does he use David, he uses Abraham, and he uses Abraham as this example of faith. See, God provided everything for us through grace. But... It takes faith to experience the grace of God. Without faith, nobody can please God. It's impossible to please God without faith. And if you're going to experience the grace of God, it takes our faith. And so Abraham is used as an example of faith. Now, why do you suppose that God used Abraham as an example of faith? Because Abraham needed faith. When you look at Abraham, this guy goes out and tells a foreign king that his wife is his sister when he's like 90 years old. My wife would have shot me for that. (laughs) Abraham, he is a chicken. Big chicken. And you know what? God uses Abraham as an example of faith. Why? That gives us hope. Because if Abraham could get it, we could get it. Hallelujah. Amen. And so this is how we receive the righteousness of God. The gospel is the revelation of righteousness. And the way that we receive it, everyone needs righteousness, and God provided righteousness in Jesus. But the way that we receive it is we receive it by grace through faith. Grace is talking about what he's done. Faith is talking about our positive response to what God's already done for us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. In the end of Romans chapter 4, he makes this beautiful statement in verse 25, talking about Christ saying, "...who was delivered for our offenses." Jesus went to the cross for our sin, but he was raised again for our justification. Thank God Jesus was raised again for our justification. That's talking about preaching on the backside of the cross. Amen? We are justified before God when we put our faith in Jesus. That means we are just as if we'd never sinned. If you grew up in the church, you probably thought about what would it have been like if Adam had never sinned, if he had never eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? What would have life? He screwed it up. Now, the Bible tells us, we read a little bit more in Romans chapter 5, that if we'd been there, even though we hadn't done the same thing, we'd have done something. We'd have messed it up. Amen? But when we think about justification, we are just as if we'd never sinned. When we're, we've been born again, we've been made righteous, and the way God looks at us today is the way that he looked at Adam before he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
God sees us today, and we're accepted before God. The Bible talks about this in Ephesians chapter 1, that we're accepted in the beloved, and it makes a statement there about, uh, uh, in fact, I'll just go there and read it, and I'll tell you about it. Maybe I'll do better if I read it. But Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6 Uh, Verse 5 says that he predestined us to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Then he makes this statement, to the praise of the glory of his grace. If you look at this in the Greek, when it says to the praise of the glory of his grace, it literally uh, says that God sees us in our full potential in Christ. And then he says wherein, this uh, word wherein the Greek, Greek means to come to a fixed position of rest. When we come to a fixed position of rest in the grace of God, and God sees us through his grace, God sees us in our full potential in Christ, wherein we come to rest in that, he, he has made us accepted in the beloved. God accepts you today based on your full potential in Christ. God accepts you today based on grace, not based on what we've done wrong. And so we have been justified before God. Now, in Romans chapter 5, he's talking about how we went from the reign of sin and death to the reign of grace grace and righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord and what that means to us. And he begins making some powerful statements. He says this in verse uh, 1 of Romans chapter 5, Therefore, being justified uh, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the first thing that I would really like to draw out of this today is that we are at peace with God through Jesus Christ. God isn't mad at us. He's not even upset. Praise God. Thank God. God put all of his anger, God put all of his wrath, God put all of his judgment on Jesus at the cross. And so if God was to judge you today, he'd be wrong to Jesus. We are at peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. What a privilege it is to live at peace with God. Not to have this inner turmoil and this war going on on the inside of us. He goes on in verse uh, 2 and says this, By whom? By Jesus. We have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So faith is the key that unlocks the door into the realm of grace. Amen? And when we come into grace, we stand in grace. When I am believing God for something, I stand in grace. I don't stand saying, I read my Bible, I prayed, I gave, I did this, I did that. I didn't cuss, I didn't chew, I didn't run with those that do. I don't say what I did, I don't say what I didn't do. When I uh, come by faith, I enter grace and I look and I say, this is what Jesus has done for me. And I am receiving from God based on the grace of God. I love it when Andrew preaches grace. I can get totally excited when he preaches grace. I just like jump up and down on the inside. I get super excited about it. And I tell him, I'm like, Andrew, you preach grace and I need grace. Hallelujah. (laughs) Amen. I tell the students this. I say, did you know what? If you could compare me to Andrew Womack, I don't look very good. You know what? Andrew's a lot holier than me. He's never said a cuss word. I probably thought about saying one last week. Amen. He's never even drank coffee. Amen. But did you know what? If you put Andrew next to Jesus, Andrew doesn't stand a chance. Praise God. 
So I tell him, you preach grace and I need grace. Thank God for the grace of God. But when we go to believe in God, we're not going before God and saying, I did all these things. We go before God based on what Jesus has done. And we receive based on his performance and not on our performance. Thank God. Isn't that awesome? Now, he says, when we're standing in grace, notice what he says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We're standing, we're believing God. There may be challenges that we face. Andrew was just talking about this last hour, about how even though uh, we have all these promises and these different things, there's challenges that we deal with in this world. And so what he says, we're rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. We're rejoicing in the hope of God's manifested presence, God's manifested power, God's manifested purposes in our life. That's the glory of God if you study it out in a nutshell. And so he says, we're rejoicing, we're looking for good, amen? We're looking for God's presence, God's power, God's purposes to be manifested in our life. But as we're looking for that, how do we deal with challenges? He said, not only so, we glory in tribulations. See, Jesus said this in John chapter 16, verse 33, he said, in the world you shall have tribulations, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. So why do bad things happen to good people? Bad things happen to good people because we're in a world that's been affected by sin and by Satan. Why are there challenges? Because we're in a world and it's messed up. You know, we went on a national broadcast and we asked uh, in this national broadcast, we asked the government for an exception that we wouldn't have to close caption it because we're just starting out in different things. And it took the government eight months to give us a letter back and then giving us a letter back, they're demanding that we have this thing closed captioned within two months. It takes thousands of dollars of equipment. You've got to train people. It's unreal. I mean, it takes them eight months to write a letter. If they would have given us six months, I wouldn't complain. This, this takes thousands of dollars and money and all these different things. And then they tell us, if you'd send us all your financial statements and this, then we might let you off without doing it, which I am not doing. Praise God. I'm not going to send it to them. Praise God. I don't have to. I'm a church, and I am a church. Amen. So I'm not going to send them my financial status. I'm going to suck it up and do it. But at the same point in time, you know, we live in a world that's been affected by sin and by Satan. And not only has this affected me, it's affecting a lot of people. I talk to the people that do our broadcast. There are 13 ministries that they have out of Indianapolis alone that they're dealing with this same thing. And what, the, what they're trying to do is just squash the small guy. And if you're small, then you've either got to get big or quit. So we're going to get big. Amen. Amen. Do you know what? It doesn't cost any more to think big than it does to think small. Praise God. So I would just as well think big. Hallelujah. That's a little extra. All right. But we glory in tribulation. There's all kinds of trouble. Paul talks about some of the challenges he faced. He talks about how he was beaten with stripes. He talks about how he was in the deep. He talks about how he was left for dead. He was stoned. And all these different things came against him. This wasn't God coming against him. This was the devil coming against him through the world. But the reason that bad things happen to good people is because we're in uh, sin and uh, we're in a world that's been affected by sin and by Satan. But we still overcome by faith. And he tells us how we do this. How do you glory in tribulation? He says, knowing this, that tribulation works patience. If you will patiently believe God, amen, you will experience the grace of God. You'll experience the promise of God. You'll experience the goodness of God. Amen. 
I just started a series on divine healing. I believe that it is God's will to heal you as a believer 100% of the time. 1 Peter 2.24 says, By his stripes you were healed. Isaiah 53 verse 4 and verse 5 says that he took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses and by his stripes we are healed. Psalm 103 verse 3 says he forgives all of our iniquities. He heals all of our diseases. You can't preach the Bible and not preach that. People that don't preach that don't believe the Word of God. Jesus provided for our healing at the same time that He provided for our forgiveness. But how do we deal with it when we're believing God to be healed and yet we're struggling with some physical infirmity? We stand and believe God. And I actually went to one of our care groups. We have like 15 care groups that meet uh, twice a month now. And I went to one of our care groups and we were just talking about different things. But then I got an email back from the person that ran this care group. And they said, you know, a lot of times people, when the Word of God says they're healed and they're believing they're healed and yet they got a physical circumstance that's different, how do we deal with that? And this person just took an example from Barbara and I's life that there's times that we've dealt with challenges and we have stood sometimes for years. But we just keep standing and believing God. And you know what? In the end, we win. We have the victory. And I've got examples in our life how sometimes it's taken several months, sometimes it's taken a year, but we just keep believing the Word and we keep at it. And what he's saying is if we patiently, he says patience works experience. The Bible says to be followers of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And if you experience the grace of God, you experience the goodness of God, you experience the promise of God in your life. He says experience works hope. What happens when you've experienced the grace of God, when you believe God for something and you stood and you patiently believe God and then what you believe came to pass? And later down the road, you face another challenge. What do you do from that? You remember the last thing. Experience works hope. And you say, praise God. He did it for me once. He's going to do it again. Amen? Experience works hope. And hope makes not a shame. Why doesn't hope make a shame? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost that is given to us. Because we know how much God loves us. And if we understand how much God loves us, we know that God wants to do good and only good in our life. God is not the author of the tragedy. God is not the author of the trouble. God is not the author of the problems in your life. Praise God, God has given us an answer in the person of Jesus. And if you will stand and believe God, you will experience the faithfulness of God. You will experience the grace of God. And when you experience that, it doesn't mean that you're never going to be challenged again. You'll probably have more challenges as long as you live in this world. But you keep believing God and you keep operating in victory. You go from grace to grace, from glory to glory, from faith to faith, from victory to victory. When you continue to believe God. So you experience the love of God, and through the love of God, we come into a position of victory. He goes and talks a little bit more about this. He says, for when we were without strength, before we knew Christ, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. You know, there's only one qualification that you really need to be be a candidate for the blessings and the goodness of God. And that has, you have to be ungodly. I can say, I qualify. Amen? You know what? The gospel gives hope to everybody. I don't care who you are or where you came from. God's not near as concerned about where you came from as where you're going. 
Christ died for us when we were ungodly. Christ died for us when we were in sin. Christ died for us when we were making all the wrong choices and doing all the wrong things. Christ died for us. He makes this statement. He says, scarcely for a righteous man one will die. Yet even for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commended, he demonstrated, he reveals his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Most of the church doesn't have a problem believing that whatsoever. Most of the church, if somebody comes in here off the street that's been just living like the devil, they'll just say, oh, God loves you. Just come receive the grace of God. But once you get saved, then we start putting all these rules on you. Start saying, now you got to go to church. Now you got to pay your tithe. Now you got to give. Now you got to teach. Now you got to, got to, got to, got to. Now you can't do this and you can't do that. You can't do something else. And we kill people with the rules. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's not about rules and regulations. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. And if your spirit is right with God and you live, you just live out of your spirit. Let Jesus live his life big through you. But we kill people with the rules. But he says, Christ died for the ungodly. And he says, God revealed his love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Most of the church believes that. But then he goes on and says this in verse 9. He says, much more being now justified by his blood. Since we've been justified, how were we justified? By faith in his blood. By faith in the finished work of Christ. By faith in what Christ has already done. Much more, now that you've been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Or we could say, we shall be delivered from judgment through him. Thank God. Did you know what? God is not judging us for our sin as the church. And the reason that God is not judging us for our sin is God already judged Jesus for our sin. And if God was to judge us for our sin, he'd be wrong to Jesus. And so he says, we shall be delivered from judgment through him. Praise God. If you're a believer, you've been delivered from judgment. There is therefore now no condemnation. There is no judgment against those of you who are in Christ Jesus. Spiritually speaking, you are either in Christ Jesus or you're out of Christ Jesus. You're either righteous or you're a sinner. You're either on your way to heaven or you're on your way to hell. You're either blessed or you're cursed. Most of the church sees us as 75% righteous and 25% a sinner or 50% righteous, 50% a sinner or 99% righteous and 1% sinner. The fact is in your spirit, you're either 100% righteous or you're 100% unrighteous. You're either born again, you're a child of God, you're on your way to heaven or you're not born again, you're a child of the devil and you're on your way to hell. And if, you, if you're born again, if you're righteous, it's not because of something you did other than you just put your faith in Jesus, period. Amen? And did you know what? A lot of times we on the outside, you can judge a tree by its fruit, but it's like if a woman's pregnant. She can be two weeks pregnant or eight and a half months pregnant. You can definitely tell when she's eight and a half months, but when she's two weeks, nobody might know. Amen? And either the seed of God has come, the seed of the word has come into your spirit and you've been born again and you're a new creation or you haven't. It's either or. Praise God. If you've never been born again, you need to get born again. Praise God. And when you're born again, everything on the inside of you changes. Everything in your spirit changes. You have the life of God. You have the ability of God. We're going to talk about this as we go through this. But 
He just says, we're going to be saved. We're going to be delivered from judgment through him. God is not mad at you as a believer. God is absolutely in love with you. Praise God. He says, for if, in verse 10, when we were enemies, before we were saved, we were reconciled, we were restored to right relationship with God by the death of his son, much more, much more now that we've been restored to right relationship, now that we've been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. I've got the life of God in me. I've got the very same spirit in me that raised up Jesus from the dead. Praise God. I receive victory through the love of God. God is not mad at me. Amen. I experience the grace of God through his love. Amen. I just patiently believe God. Faith works by love. When the Bible says that in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, that in Jesus Christ neither circumcision or uncircumcision avails anything but faith which works by love, it's not talking about our love for one another. It's talking about understanding God's love for us. It's not law-keeping that pleases God. It's faith in Christ that pleases God. And when you understand how much God loves you, it causes your faith to come alive. Faith comes alive in the presence of God. And so he says this, In verse 11, he says, not only so, but we joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. We joy in God. I enjoy my relationship with God. Praise God. So number one, we're at peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. The second thing is we have access by faith into grace wherein we stand, and we stand in grace. The third thing is we have victory through the love of God. We just keep believing in the love of God. But then he makes this statement in verse 11. He says, we joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have now received the atonement. This word atonement is this uh, Greek word kataloge, and it means an exchange of equivalent values. And so what it's saying, it's a business term where they would go and do business and they would exchange money, exchange of quick equivalent values. And so what he's saying, he says, by Jesus we have received an exchange or God has compensated for our sin and God has compensated for us to receive the blessing through the blood of Jesus Christ. When you begin to understand this, God not only compensated for your sin through the blood of Jesus, God has overcompensated for your sin through the blood of Jesus. What sin have you committed that the blood of Jesus isn't enough to cover it? Boy, most people, when they come to church and when they come up and they're praying at the altar, asking God to forgive them for their sin, their focus is more on their uh, lack of whatever they did or their failure than it is on God's grace and what God's done through Jesus. We need to turn that around. And our focus needs to be on... Basically, when people come, they just beg God You shouldn't be begging God to forgive you for your sins. Jesus has already forgiven you. God already made up his mind at the cross. 2,000 years ago, your sins were paid for. He made up his mind. He wanted you in the family. He's just looking for the day that you'll accept what he's done for you. So that there, there is nothing that we've done, there's nothing that we've ever done that that in any way compares with what Christ has done for us. God has overcompensated for our sin. But not only that, what sickness are you dealing with that the blood of Jesus hasn't already paid for? God has already compensated. At the same time that Jesus took your sins in his body on the tree, by his stripes you were healed. Praise God. 
And God has already overcompensated for your healing. Praise God. And when you compare your sickness with his provision, your sickness doesn't in any way compare with the provision that he has already made for your healing. What financial situation are you struggling with that in any way compares with the grace of Jesus Christ? For we know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that even though he was rich, he had everything heaven had to offer. He was in eternity with God, creating all things. Yet for our sakes, he became poor. He identified with us as human beings. You know rich and poor are relative terms? Any state that a person would be on, in, on earth would be considered poor if you considered it with where Christ came from. For our sakes, he became poor, that we through his poverty might be made rich. Praise God, Jesus has already made provision for our prosperity. Amen? Amen. Paying your light bill is not going to dim the lights of heaven. Amen. Amen? Praise God, Andrew used to kid me about how conservative I was. He hasn't done that for a while. I've changed a lot. <laughs> Praise God. Amen? God's changed my thinking. He's overhauling me. Praise God, spirit, soul, and body. Amen? See, the problem isn't in your spirit. Your spirit's perfect. Your spirit's righteous. In your spirit, you're either rich or you're poor. You're either spiritually, you have everything there is to offer, or you're spiritually bankrupt, either or. Praise God. But the challenge is getting what's from your spirit out to your flesh. And so he says, Jesus has made this payment. There's been an exchange, praise God. And nothing that we're dealing with in this world in, anywhere, in any way compares with what the, the price that has already been paid for our provision. Praise God. And so he goes on and he talks about in verse 12 through verse 21 how we have went from the reign of sin and death to the reign of grace and righteousness by what Jesus has done for us. And I'll read through here and then we'll make some comments about what sin did and what grace has done. He says this, Wherefore is by one man, Adam, sin entered the world, and death by sin, so death came upon all men for all of sin. We've all sinned. We've sinned, first of all, uh, because we were born in sin. By nature, David said, In sin did my mother conceive me. Every person that's been born in the world since Adam, other than Christ, was born into sin. Praise God had a sin nature. He said this, he goes on, and, uh, but not only were we born in sin, we've worked in sin. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin, wages is something you work for, that you earn. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. You don't have to teach a child how to sin. They come by it honestly. When our oldest son was two years old, I told him to do something, and he walked down the hall to do it saying, no, no, no. He was doing it, and the reason he was doing it is because he knew that if he didn't do it, he's going to get his back end blistered. <laughs> Amen? But he still, rebellion's bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. Praise God. And so he's a very good boy, loves Jesus. Amen? Loves me. We disciplined him enough. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. But he says this, until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even before the law uh, was brought into existence and showed us our sin and made a point of it, 
Death still reigned over the human generation, even uh, over those who had not sinned in the same way Adam did, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift, talking about the gift of righteousness. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift of grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, has abounded to many. And not as it was that one sin, so is the gift, for the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. So we have went from the reign of sin and death, just like it was my nature, Just like it was normal for me to live in sin before I got born again, it's normal for me to live in righteousness since I have been born again. Praise God. Now, what releases righteousness is an understanding of the grace of God. What releases all of the good things of God in our life is an understanding of God's goodness and God's love to us, an understanding of God's grace. He says in verse 18, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation or judgment, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift will come upon all men to the justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, Adam's transgression, many were made sinners. You were born in sin. We were made sinners. Even so, by the obedience of one, shall many be made righteous. You were made a sinner by Adam's sin. You're made righteous by Jesus' grace. The way that you receive that righteousness is by faith, right? You can't take one scripture and just pull it out of context. You have to read it in the context of what's being said. And everything in the book of Romans is telling you that you receive righteousness by grace through faith, right? So he goes on down here and says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, much more did grace abound. Where sin went a mile, grace went a thousand. Amen? Amen. There's no sin that we've committed that in any way compares with God's grace and what Jesus has done for us. He says that as sin reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness to eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So grace leads us through the righteousness of God into a right relationship with God, eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, as we look at this, basically we could say this. Sin led, number one, to death. Sin led, number two, to the law. The law was added because of transgression till the seed would come to whom the promise was made, till Jesus came. So sin led to death. Sin led to the law. Sin led to judgment. Sin brought judgment. Any way you could uh, cut it, that's what sin will produce. Sin never, never produces anything positive, Right? But if we take on the other side, what has the grace of God produced? What does the grace of God release? Well, number one, grace releases righteousness. When you understand what God did for us in the person of Jesus when he died and rose again, grace released the righteousness of God in our life. I am right with God today. And the reason that I'm right with God today is not because of anything that I've done, but because of what Jesus has done. Jesus completed the work in his death and resurrection. So grace releases righteousness, grace releases life, grace release, uh, releases forgiveness, grace releases acceptance, grace releases dominion, grace releases authority, grace releases victory, grace releases all of the good things of God in our life. 
And so what he's saying is we went from the reign of sin and death. We were bound. We were sinners by nature, but that's not who we are. And if you understand who you are, it will completely change how you live your life. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. You have been bought with the blood of Jesus. You are forgiven. You are accepted before God. You have authority. You are a victor. You're the head and not the tail. You're above and not beneath. Thank God you are... Uh, you're accepted and you're not condemned. And if we begin to understand that, it will completely change the way that we live our life. There's two ways that you can use the word. You can use the word like a hammer and you can try to beat people into submission. That's living on the, on the, before the cross. But if you understand what Jesus did in his death and resurrection, you begin to use the word like a mirror. You begin to look into the mirror of the word, see Jesus in the mirror of the word, understanding that Jesus took up his life in you when you got born again, and it will completely change what, the way that you live your life. It's not hard anymore because it's not you. It's Jesus living his life big in you. It's Jesus living his life through you. And so we're no longer under the reign of sin and death as believers, but we're under the reign of grace and righteousness. Amen? Through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? Amen. We love you. I hope you got something good from all that.